the number one challenge that any faith community has is being realistic. Being realistic with what your resources are, what your talent that you have around you is, and then sucking up the pride and saying, okay, this is what we have in terms of funds. This is what we have in terms of human capital and talent around us. Now, what do we need to augment this with so that we can start the process without trying to eat the whole elephant in one bite? Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We are able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowments. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burke, the Education Director and the Northeast Director. And I'm Ben Tapper, an Associate for Resource Consulting out of our central office in Indianapolis, Indiana. And this episode, our conversation is with Pastor John Gurton, and we'll talk a little bit more about him later. But the topic of this is really about technology and congregations during the pandemic. So Ben, where have you been seeing, and I shouldn't say have you been, because I'm sure that that's, if you're like me, that's about all you've been doing, uh, but where have you seen this topic popping up with congregations in your work? Everywhere, everywhere, all the time, all the days. But you know, specifically for those that don't know, we did a new grant program late spring 2020 called Connect Through Tech, and we were able to fund some hardware for congregations. And we had a lot of congregations take advantage of it here in Indiana, but there were a few that didn't quite hear about it until after the grant window had ended. And so I think ever since the grant window ended in what May or June, We've gotten calls or emails from people saying, hey, are you still doing this? We realize we need hardware now or we we didn't know what we needed then, but now we know what we need and we need a camera or a laptop or something. And so just this kind of continued desire that I've experienced from congregations and congregational leaders naming the things that they need, but also an increased demand for software even, you know, which is something that we can fund. So it's easier to work with that. But People realizing, okay, we need audio editing software. We need better video editing software right now. So those are some of the things that I think have continuously come up. In addition to congregations that were already working with us, like, again, our EYA congregations or some of the folks that were in our major grant initiatives, just trying to wrestle with, okay, we had these plans for this two-year, three-year grant project that we had to completely change because of the pandemic. And so how do we better utilize technology to still accomplish the goals that we said we were going to set out when we were awarded or applied for this grant program? And so there's just been a lot of continued wrestling as congregations think about how to adapt and evaluate what they need in order to adapt. Yeah, and I think adapt is the right word. And as we've talked about before on this podcast and in other places, the idea of technical versus adaptive challenges. And I think the initial instinct is to get gear and to get platforms, which, of course, those are important. We need the gear to be able to stream. We need the platforms to be able to stream. But one of the things that we've encountered is congregations 
thinking that they need certain things, but then realizing once they get into it, actually what we need is something very different. For congregations like that that are potentially less participatory in nature, you know, you need something that just essentially streams the service out to the people who are watching. But I have heard from smaller congregations that are used to a little more intimacy and a little more engagement that Facebook Live may not work well for them or, or streaming on YouTube, but that's more of a situation where you want Zoom meeting, where you want to be able to see the people who are not there physically uh, so that they can interact or at least have a sense of presence there. So I think there are a lot of things that as congregations continue to grapple with technology, thinking about what are we trying to solve? What value or what aspect of our congregational life are we trying to replicate in the virtual space? And how does that get replicated? And that's really a prior step to talking about equipment, talking about hardware, talking about platforms, because only then will you really know what you need to go after. And so I think some congregations are starting to realize that and asking better questions now of, you know, what do the next six months look like? And even beyond the pandemic, how are we going to integrate technology into worship or into our congregational life in a meaningful way and going back and planning and thinking about it a little bit more? Yeah. And I've been thankful that congregations are actually asking that question, you know, because we went so long, at least certain segments of religious life went so long without reevaluating and asking those foundational questions about what is the purpose of this worship experience, right? What, what values are we holding? What are we trying to accomplish? Where do we want to take people? And this pandemic has forced people to kind of circle back to those foundational elements. And I think in the long run, that is going to be helpful, uh, not just for those that are currently involved in congregational life, but for any whom congregational life touches at some point in time in the future. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, that's one of the positive outcomes of the shakeup that's happened is it's forcing us to go back and look at why are we here? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Because it's really easy on a status quo to just do the same thing week in, week out without ever really interrogating or asking why is it that we're doing these things? And so I think this is a really great opportunity to think about a reset and who do you envision yourself to be as a community? How do you want to be perceived and what work do you want to do in the world? And potentially not only rethinking the virtual aspects of that, but also, you know, just as things get back to whatever the new normal is, thinking about those questions in that way as well. Yeah, I completely agree. That's what we have seen is this work has intersected the topic of conversation that Pastor Gurton talked about in this week's episode. And we would love to hear at some point what has come up or what will come up for you as you listen to the episode and reflect on the experience of your own community, family, or congregation. So here is Pastor John Gurton. All right, welcome back. And for our interview segment for today, we're with Pastor John Gurton, who's the president and CEO of Gurt Enterprises. And thank you for being here with us today, sir. Not a problem. It's good to be here. And with me always is Ben Tapper, the co-host, who's down in the Indianapolis office. Great to be here, Matt. Thank you. Pastor Gurton, you have been in the business of online congregational life for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about your background and history with that. Pretty much growing up in a household of a pastor, you know, my father pastored for 27 years. My uncle pastored for 55 years. So I've been in and around faith communities for a very, 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 very long time. And it just so happened that, you know, my life's work ultimately led me to not only being involved in the faith community, but also bringing in to the fold 
other disciplines to be a support within the faith community. So yes, I had seminary classes or courses and New Testament and all that good stuff, but I also had communication classes and journalism classes and also had technology classes. And so I've sort of brought all of that to bear with my experiences, you know, growing up in church and learning the, I think they call it the accoutrements or something like that, all the trappings of the faith community, right? So you learn all that, you grow up with all that, but then you also augment that with some other experiences. And that's what I've been able to do over the years is to bring all of that to the fore. So what got you interested in this intersection of communication and congregational life? What kind of was the spark that kind of moved you along the path that you've been on? Man, it was really simple. You know, I started in video production in the early 1980s, working with an organization in Indianapolis called Indiana Black Expo. I was 15 years old. Church was something that we did. It just, it wasn't something that I, who, it wasn't who I was. It was just something that I did. I mean, I was a kid. You know how that goes. And some people kind of drink the Kool-Aid and keep it moving. Other people kind of, you know, my dad's a pastor and I really would like to deviate in a different direction. So I was a DJ. I was in a rap group. I did all that kind of stuff. Right. And so early on, I did not really see a connection, to be quite frank. I was just doing what I was doing. Right. And as I began to grow up, and as I went to college, I went to college, I got a degree in communications, telecommunications from Ball State University. I got my undergraduate in 92. When I came back, I experienced that call on my life. And it was really at that point that I was at that crossroads to sort of make a decision as to, did I go to get a communications degree for nothing? Should I have gotten a theology degree? Should I got a seminary degree? You know, should I be going to a master in divinity? So I had to kind of make some decisions. And certainly I was not interested in just throwing away everything that I had done and what it presented itself to me at that time that I think really elevated the conversation was I saw such a lack of the spirit of excellence within the body of Christ that it was almost as if there was that I had to deal with it. I had to sort of bring my professional acumen into the church because there was such a need and a void and a gap and a gulf for professionalism within the church. And I hate to say that, but can I just be honest? I, I was troubled by the fact that I saw such lack of professionalism in the church that I didn't have anything to do but bring that professionalism into the mix and began to try to chart a course that would ultimately bridge the gap between what I did in journalism, communication, uh, broadcast, design, creativity, uh, multimedia, and the faith community. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that backstory. It's really helpful. And I think it's top of mind for a lot of people right now, especially because of the pandemic and how much of congregational life has gone online in the last you know six months. We're recording this in late January of 21. And so I think a lot of folks, they got some equipment and you know kind of started live streaming, getting things moving. But I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing what are some things to watch out for, especially for people who are very new to doing these kinds of things online what are some things to watch out for? What are some ways that you can really improve without necessarily a lot of monetary investment? I mean, of course, it might take some time, might take a little bit of expertise, but how do you get to that level of excellence that we ought to be at in congregational life? Well, I think the first thing is one must control your own appetite to do what somebody else is doing. That is, I think, the first downfall that could really set you back a ways. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is, that it is quite common to sit back and turn on your television, turn to the Daystar Network, I think it's what it's called, 
turn to a television station and see a ministry that is doing ministry, virtual ministry, broadcast ministry, TV ministry on a level that is, and everybody can't see this, but I'm saying way up here. That's common. It's not difficult. Now with virtual, it's not uncommon to jump online and see a praise team and see a band rocking out and seeing, you know, all the great trappings again of high quality video, 4K, and then to think that's what I want to look like. I want to do that. That's where I want to be. That to me is mistake number one. Because first of all, you don't know what it's taking for them to be on that level. Beyond that, let's just be real. You don't know what it takes from a cost perspective. You also don't know what it takes from a human capital perspective. How many people are working there? What is their expertise? And so I think the number one challenge that any faith community has is being realistic, being realistic with what your resources are, what your talent that you have around you is, and then sucking up the pride and saying, okay, this is what we have in terms of funds. This is what we have in terms of human capital and talent around us. Now, what do we need to augment this with so that we can start the process without trying to eat the whole elephant in one bite? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a great point because I think it's so easy to get enamored of what's happening at the highest levels. But I've seen things so well done with one standing light and an iPod (laughs) or or an iPhone. Or a phone, yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, how do you balance the desire for excellence with the need for grace? How do those things walk hand in hand in your experience in this realm? Well, you know, every time I talk about doing work within the faith community, I always talk about the spirit of excellence. And I feel like within the spirit of excellence, that there is room for fundamentals. Okay. And this is where I try to start fundamentals. Before you drive off, you have to look at what's on the ground. i got to have tires. There are four fundamental things that are necessary to move forward. There's grace to me, but then there's also basics to me. And I want to be honest and as transparent as I can be with someone to say, look, you don't have to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. What you need to have are the basics. Good lighting, good sound, and good framing. Mm. Good lighting, good sound, good framing. Then we can kind of get into the nuts and bolts of or the particulars of what are those three. Now, it's kind of like anything else. There's a push and a pull, right? One of the things that they say in our industry is you can have the best look, but if can't nobody hear you, You know, and what they say is bad audio makes good video look bad. (laughs) You get it? That's what we say. And the reason why we say that is sort of that tug of war that's going on with the basics are in order for this stool to stand, you've got to have these three legs. Now, when I say lighting, I'm not talking about going and spending $150 on a 15 to 18 inch ring light. What am I saying? I'm saying just stand in front of a window with the window as your key light, yeah, right? You don't have to spend, again, tons of money to do that, but the sun is a basic. It's one of the fundamentals. Framing, and everybody again can't see what I'm doing, 
The number one thing with framing is the center shot is the power shot. You all are looking at me right now. I am positioned in the center of the shot. Why? Because this is powerful. Anything less is compromising. So in terms of framing, this is the way, you know, that's that basic that you want to do. You don't want to cut people off. You don't want the floating head. You certainly don't want to be covering up your mouth and things like that because we have been trained to look for a full face. We've been trained to look for a neck. We've been trained to look for shoulders and we've been trained to look in the center of anything. So that's framing. Right. And then, of course, audio. Audio is just a matter of initially, and you all have done what I've done. I'll sit on a Sunday and I'll watch services all over the country on Facebook or on Periscope. And you're always going to see a church that has a camera in the back of the church on a wide shot, shooting empty pews with a speaker at a podium, 75 to 100 feet up in front of you. And they're relying on the echoey audio coming out of the speakers to be the key audio. Right. And so, again, there are some basics within that. First of all, simply take that camera from the back row and put it in the front row. Okay, that's half your battle right there. That gets the microphone of your camera or your phone or your tablet closer to the subject so that, number one, you don't have the echo. And number two, you're closer to the subject that it is that you're trying. So if you get what I'm saying, there is grace, but there's also fundamentals. And if you take care of the three fundamentals, Chances are you have a better opportunity to have a good quality situation than if you tried to throw a million dollars at it and didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, I appreciate you breaking down those fundamentals. And, you know, a lot of times this can feel really overwhelming for those that are just jumping into it. But to break it down into, you know, three key things, right, that you have to keep your mind and then to break it down even further and help people understand what those mean. Uh, I think it's that simplicity that is going to make this more tangible and palatable for a lot of folks. I, I realize that that's what is really catching a lot of people off guard is that they see a lot and it's just so much. I remember when I was growing up, I always wanted to be in dealing with audio. So again, I was a DJ and I was doing, a, and I remember I used to look at these big sound boards, right? In studios and some big churches had these big audio boards. And I'm like, man, look at all of that. Look at all the knobs and bells and whistles. And one day somebody said to me, they said, this isn't as complicated as you think it is. They said, all you have to do is learn one row. <laughs> okay. And they said, when you learn that one row balance, you know, high frequency, mid frequency, low frequency, you know, the effects sin and all that. They said, if you learn this one row, you've learned the whole board. And that's what I'm saying about this streaming, this video, this online, this virtual, is that if you learn the basics, the rest of it, you can build on. You've got to get the foundation set, the roots set, and then you can grow tall and it doesn't matter how big you get at that point because you got the foundation. Do you, have, do you have any recommendations of resources or places that people can go for those basics? I know that we had a workshop on basic audio and I knew nothing about soundboards and I'm not a sound guy at all and experienced that same intimidation. But after having the presenter just walk through those different pieces, it made so much more sense. I mean, do you know of any quick access places where folks can go to find information on lighting, on framing and on sound? You don't want me to say this, but I'm just going to say it. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just go to YouTube, you know, and, and I think the other place that one could go is uh, there are some services out there that specialize in things like podcasts and like Anchor, right? 
Spreaker.com, got other things like that that will offer sort of an academy, right? Where you can actually learn some of the techniques that they use to get the best audio and things like that. But for the most part, maybe because I'm a former educator, I don't know. But for me, there's always something specific that I need to know. And so because I need to know something specific about gain or I need to learn something specific about a plugin or I'm trying to achieve something very specific, typically I'm going to type into my search engine, whether that be, you know, it could be a YouTube search engine, but it could be a Google search engine or a Bing search engine. I'm going to put in a very specific string of information to say this is specifically what I want to know. So based on what I just said, instead of entering into the search box, how to live stream a church service, I might say how to light a church service or how to frame my video. You see what I'm saying? To be more specific and you'll receive more specific information if you ask a more specific question, right? And again, and this is just me just chit-chatting, the more you drill down on the specifics of what you need to know the closer you get to the language that you need to know in order to better communicate with people what it is that you want. So often I end up in conversations with people and I very quickly find out that they do or they don't know what it is that they want simply because they are not using the right language. So when you say lighting, you want to say key lighting, fill lighting, back lighting, right? Those are specific terms to the industry that let people like me and others online know, oh, we know exactly what you're looking for, right? Some people don't know the difference between a monocast and a multicast and a podcast and a vodcast. But the more you drill down and the more specific you are, the more you learn what we call the nomenclature or the wording or the terminology of the industry that helps you to better get the results while you searching and trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was once told that master's degree programs really were just mostly about learning the right vocabulary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Are there any differences? You know, I'm thinking about congregations are not only live streaming services now. Some folks are recording services to play later. Some are wanting to create video content for different demographics of their congregations. And so I'm wondering if there are any like stylistic differences that you are aware of between, you know, if you're trying to create something maybe for your youth ministry versus if you're trying to just create a video for the entire congregation on a Sunday morning. Are there stylistic differences to keep in mind? Man, I mean, what you're really talking about is is very complicated right now. And the reason why is because, you know, when you ask that question, you really have to turn back to the faith community and find out which level that community is on. You've got some communities that are just aiming a camera at what they're doing. Mm. And in their mind, because of where they are, they want whatever they're shooting right at that moment to accommodate all the different audiences that you just described. But the challenge is that, let's just be honest, that's where they are. They have the capacity to turn a camera towards the pulpit, shoot what they're doing, and they want it to satisfy everyone. Then you have another group that they understand that that one shot is not going to get it done for everyone. So they have now modified the stage to fit the audiences that they're trying to reach. But they have not changed the content of their programming. They've just changed the 
context of their programming. They've just changed the stage. You see what I'm saying? They've, they've added the mic, they've added the lights, they've made it look better, but they haven't changed content. Then you've got that third group. The third group has not only changed the context, but they've changed the content. And they are the ones that recognize that we need to write a script and make sure that what we're saying meets the needs of the audiences that we are trying to reach, right? So the question that you just asked meets that third category of individuals who are saying, you know what? We have a great opportunity to actually satisfy the spiritual needs of every audience in our community. And that means that we need to approach them from the perspective of what it is that they need as a demographic and as a psychographic, which what does that mean? That means that on one spectrum, when I'm dealing with my 75 year old, I'm dealing spiritual first, social second. But when I get down to my 15 year old, I got to deal social first, spiritual second. Right. Because they're more social. They want a TikTok. They want a WhatsApp. They want to shoot a video. You know, that's how they do. So, again, the mindset that one has to have is understanding first. Are you shooting what's happening and not changing the context? Are you changing the context but not changing the content? Are you changing content and the context? And if you are, it's at that point that you begin to really spend some time in a conference room and do what you got to do to make sure that you satisfy all the audiences that you need to satisfy. And that requires you to really know a good deal about your faith community and those who are not only in your doors, but outside your doors, the community outside your church. Right. Because remember, when we're in the virtual environment, you're not just talking and streaming to those who are a part of your audience. You've got a new audience of people, many of whom you'll never meet. Yeah. For those out there, there may be a lot of people out there that at this point are getting really overwhelmed because <laughs> in a very short period of conversation, we've gone from kind of the four basics all the way through to crafting and scripting and things like that. And maybe to try to relieve some of that pressure, how long does that journey take? I mean, and I know that depends on the community, but just in general, like we're not talking one to two Sundays between <laughs> figuring all that out, right? So just no. what's no. what does the journey look like? The way I would interpret the journey has as much to do with the individuals that you're working with and their commitment and their interest in the subject matter, right? Because there are some people who have a proclivity toward technology and dealing with things like this that we're talking about. And then you have some other people who are averse to it, like, oh no, I can't do whatever. So the question really is, is where is your talent? And let's just talk about it from the perspective that you have someone, and I don't care if it's just one person in your faith community that is interested in this subject. If you have one person who is committed to it and they are willing to start where they are with an iPhone, okay, with a tablet, okay, if you've got one person, I'm saying that it could take literally three months of Sundays to start realizing, okay, we need to do better. Now, what does better look like? Again, better may just be trial and error, moving the camera forward and backwards. Better may just be getting a fluid head tripod instead of that cheap one from Target that's got a plastic head to keep going. Eh, 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 
right? <laughs> Just being funny. All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't, nobody can see what I'm doing, and they're probably thinking like mouth mouth sounds. What? Right. Well, anybody who's ever messed with one of those tripods, I think knows exactly what you're talking about. So we're we're all good. Right. But see, better might also be purchasing a seventy five dollar Boya wireless microphone to put on the preacher and to connect to the phone or the camera to get better audio. So it really doesn't take long to start figuring out, okay, we can make some incremental adjustments that could improve this that won't cost, that won't take a lot of time and energy, but it will improve the output. And at the point where the value of the virtual piece begins to be quantifiable, here's what I mean. You start out, you've got five people watching, Benjamin, right? You Then you got 10 people watching on a consistent basis. Then sister so-and-so gets sick and she's got to stay home and somebody goes over to her house and shows her. And now all of a sudden, another group is watching and now you got 20, 25. At the point where you can begin to quantify that, man, you know what? We got 10 people watching, sitting in front of us and we got 100 people watching online. You follow? At that point, then people start saying, hmm, what do we need to do to focus in on this? Because there's clearly people who are paying attention to it. That's when money starts becoming an issue and people start saying, what do we got to buy? What do we need to purchase? You just got to be patient with that, right? Because in my view, it's better to develop the infrastructure to stream consistently than to buy a bunch of stuff and not be able to get a stream on every Sunday or every Wednesday. I'd rather see you spend the time to develop the capacity to show up online every Sunday at the same time, getting better and better and better and better, and then purchasing better equipment and leveling up. That's what I would rather see people do. So hopefully that's an answer. If somebody's dedicated three months of Sundays, they're going to start figuring out we can do better. But money's not going to start paying for upgrades until you can quantify that there are actually people watching. These people have formed a community and now they're looking for us. They're expecting us. And that's when you start opening up the pocketbooks and start spending money. Yeah. And I think what we've experienced since last March, I don't think the market for online engagement is not going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> no. Because even folks who were you know faithfully attending week in, week out, but then realizing that Hey, it's it's kind of nice to just sit at home with a cup of coffee and go to church. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? Having said that, based on what you just brought up, I think it is important to note that the churches and faith communities and mosques and temples and everybody out there that's gotten thrust into this situation, to be totally honest, the ones that are not going to survive or the ones that are not going to be able to thrive in this environment are the ones that are waiting for us to go back to business as usual. Hmm. Okay. I would also argue that they're going to be the last adopters. You know, when we talk about the late adopters, they're going to be the latest of the late adopters because they don't want to jump because they're waiting for us to go back to where we were. And when we get to it, we'll talk about what I see next because there is a next. Yeah, and before we get to that next, I would imagine that the skills needed 
to do exploration, to do research, to help think through these things in each congregation are skill sets that people haven't been looking for them for a long time. What are some places and maybe overlooked places where congregational leaders can go to try to find people who might have some gifts and talents that could really support them in this time? Man, it's real simple. Get outside of your faith community and outside of your four walls and go check out other ministries, ministries you have relationships with. There are probably people that you have relationships with who are a part of other ministries. And when you see a ministry that has leveled up, ask them, say, hey, man, uh, hey, lady, who does this for you? You know, who does your lighting? Who does your camera work? You know, I was on a phone call with somebody just last night, I think it was. And they told me, they said, hey, I need you to do something for me. I have to do a a virtual funeral, right? And so the funeral is going to be streamed to two different church Facebook pages. And so the lady that was talking to me, she says, well, I mentioned your name to someone at one of the churches. And they said that they had heard of you or heard about you and they wanted you to give them a call about X, Y, and Z. See, those types of connections already exist. It's just a matter of taking the step and saying, hey, I'm willing to go to this person who I saw or heard knows how to get this done to ask the question. And many of us, if they're like me, will just I I don't trip. I'm like, okay, here's what you need. (laughs) You know, this isn't a hobby for me. I'm professionally trained at this. Right. This is what I do. So it's not difficult for me to just look at a situation and say, here you go. But if no one asks me, I can't tell you. You know, if you don't inquire, I don't know that you need to know. And so for this person at this church to know of me, but never have said anything to me, I could have helped. But if I don't know. So that's what I would say. Look around. If you see something that's leveled up on another level, that's doing you know, what you'd like to do, find out who's in charge of it, who's responsible for it. It's just that simple to me. So with that being said, I'm curious, what do you see coming next? Are y'all ready? <laughs> uh, and that's that's about as rhetorical as it is not rhetoric, right? Uh, here's what I see next. What I see next is hybrid. And for those who are not familiar with the hybrid term, all hybrid means is is a combination of virtual and in person, a combination. Now, truth be told, the church and the faith communities should have been hybrid well before now. Okay, because you had people who were homebound, you had people who worked on Sundays or whatever, and they weren't able to go to church on Sundays. And so they had to get their spiritual meal some other kind of way. So we should have been hybrid well before now. But I think people have been thrust into now thinking, how do we engage face to face and how do we engage in the virtual space? So developing strategies. And here's the tough part, Matt. The tough part is, do you develop that strategy virtual first and face-to-face second, or do you develop it face-to-face first and virtual second? That's the real question, because it makes you cultivate for yourself where the priority that the leadership is driving from. What is the priority, right? Is the priority creating assets that can be distributed virtually And those assets then also encourage people to join face to face. Right. Is the idea to create virtual groups online and have them engage 
is groups online and Bible studies. They can share recipes with one another. They can do chat rooms. They can counsel one another. Is that the focus initially? And then that drives people to the face to face. That's the question that has to be answered. And it has to be answered by every group. The bottom line is, is that the future is hybrid. You know, I'm uh, also uh, trained as what's called an instructional designer. And instructional design was a discipline that came out of the early 2000s as the Internet became more capable of delivering virtual learning, right? Virtual learning, learning management systems, Blackboard, Sakai, things like that, Canvas. And so early on, universities, just like churches, thought the only way you could teach was brick and mortar. The only way you could teach is that you had to have an instructor at the front of a room and seats out in front of you. That was the mindset. And so over the years, universities had to figure out how do we manage these, this website thing, right? How do we manage that? And so now the faith community is pretty much having to grapple with what universities had to grapple with. And that is, it's now time to put the sermon up right? And then send the congregation back to do their assessments, do their group projects, do their other pieces virtually as a group. While we may have watched the sermon live, we may have watched the sermon online. Everything else is engagement that comes from a virtual environment. And all that is, is called hybrid. That's all that is. It sounds like you're putting a a pretty firm stake in the ground on that. Why do you think that's the next for congregations? First of all, it is because we've been thrust into where we are right now. Mm-hmm. There's research out there, I believe it's from Barnard Group, that shows that over 50% of people polled before the pandemic were looking for church in a different way. They said church need to do something other than have me be there at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. We need to do something else, right? The pandemic hit, and there is a large contingent of people, at least 30% of folks who are saying that now that they're virtual, they're not sure if they're ever going to go back to the way things work. That's not everybody. Right. But there is a strong contingent of people who are looking at what has happened now. And that has altered the way that they perceive, you know, their spiritual appetite and where they go to get what it is that they need. That's the first thing that I think is driving us toward this shift. The other thing that I think that is driving us towards this shift is very simply that the technology has brought down people's inhibition to receiving a virtual experience. Right. I remember the very first time that someone sent me a YouTube video of someone singing in church. I watched that video online on my phone, sitting in my car. And I mean, it broke me into itty bitty pieces. And it was at that moment that I realized that what I thought I could only get by face to face experience. I found out that that technology brought that very simple, that very deep emotional response with something that was not right in front of me. It came through the technology. And I think that that experience has brought people's acceptance of the platform down to a level where they're willing to say, you know what? I can do that. I'm no longer against it in the way that I was against it. Well, as we come to the close of our time here, one more question for you. What word of encouragement would you offer to those congregations, uh, those leaders who are listening to this that maybe are struggling with technology, struggling to get it right, struggling to do it with excellence? What kind of encouragement can you give them? 
First thing I would say is just recognize that everyone is trying to get it done. We are experiencing an unprecedented challenge that escapes no one. Okay, no one is escaping what we are dealing with. So just like, you know, your church might be experiencing these challenges with what do we do? The church down the street is experiencing it, too. Maybe not in the same dynamic, but trust me, they are experiencing it, too. And so there is, I think, a common experience that we are all going through that we can get a whole lot more out of if we would just bring the barriers down and just be honest with each other and admit, I need help in this area. Mm-hmm. Truth be told, our spiritual leaders, many of them went to seminary to learn theology and not technology. Hmm. All right. And that's okay. What that means is, is that you've got to be willing to ask for help. And that is okay. Everybody's experiencing, everybody's going through it. And, you know, again, the only other thing I would just say is first, you know, give yourself a break. You're not the only one. Ask for help and be patient. You don't have to get it all done right now. You don't have to spend $10,000, dollars $20,000. Just start with what is in. I could go theological, right? I could I could really go theological, but I'm not going to go there. I go straight Old Testament on you and say, you know, what's in your hand? You know, throw it yeah. down. I could say that, but I'm not going to go there. But if an iPhone is all you got, is a Samsung is all you got, use what you've got. Maximize that. And trust me, the rest of it will follow. Thank you for that. So if folks want to follow your work or find out more information about you or anything that you've got out there, where can they find you? Most people are finding me at GertEnterprises.com. They can find me there. As you may know, we upload quite a bit of videos where we show people about how to light, how to hook up their cameras, how to hook up their phones and the technology. We have a, a ebook out right now that talks about the different cameras. So where people can start. So the first place they can go is to GertEnterprises.com. A lot of free stuff there you can get. Of course, then they can find me on LinkedIn, mainly on LinkedIn. I think that's the next place that one would want to find me. And I'm just Pastor Gert, Pastor G. You can find me. I'm in Indianapolis just, you know, sitting around learning all I can and help out people the best I can. Mm. <laughs> Final follow-up question. You mentioned you were in a hip-hop group at one point. You still got flow? Do you ever, do you ever spit? No. Was the DJ dot? <laughs> the DJ man. I wasn't the one with the lyrics. Bro. Got you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Some people, you know, what's funny is, as much as I am a former pastor and you know, and, and masters in urban ministry studies and all that, some people would find it interesting that I used to be the concert tour manager for a group called High Five. Yes. Hmm. So I used to travel the world with a R and B group called High Five, and the rest of y'all who don't know who that is, just look them up. Okay. Right. We might, we might even throw them in the show notes. You never know. <laughs> throw it in there. <laughs> That's funny. Well, Pastor G, we very much appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise with us. And thank you very much for being here. Yeah. Matt, anytime, anytime, you know, I'm a wide open book. Still a teacher, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate it.
Okay, so that was a very robust conversation. And I'm wondering, as you listened, what stood out to you? What are some of the reflections that you were holding after having that with uh, Pastor G? Yeah, he had so many good things to say. And I think one of the key things that was helpful for me was him talking about the very basics of what you need to have, talking about, you know, video, your audio, your lighting, you know, just those key basics. And I think it's easy to forget one or more of those components. Again, just stepping back from where you're at right now and maybe even assessing how those things are and making sure that you dial in whichever of those pieces aren't working for you just to make sure whether you're live streaming worship or whether you're doing other kinds of congregational activities online, just watching those basics is critical. Yeah, I thought that was extraordinarily helpful, you know, that he broke down what he meant when he said lighting and sound. He just kind of broke down each component that was really important. And then I loved that he encouraged people to pace themselves, right, to understand that you're not going to have studio quality standard of production off jump, right? You're not going to look like Joel Osteen or Kanye West Sunday service next week. It's going to take some time to really build up. It's going to take some time to get where you want to go. And I think that's the other important thing is we don't all have to end up at the same place. Not every congregation's production value has to be at the same level, but it needs to be good enough that it's not detracting from the message, from the material. And people nowadays have a very low tolerance for Audio issues, for instance, as we found out this week during a Zoom event. So while it's important to strive for excellence, I love that he reminded us that this is a journey, right? And and what you need to do is just do the next right thing. Just build one thing after another after another, and then you can get where you want to go. And I, I thought that was very helpful. Yeah, and I think that's something important to keep in mind because another part of the interview that struck me was him saying, what's next? And basically, we're never going back. And I've heard that thematically as we've worked with congregations, many of them have said, we now understand that this needs to be a part of what we do going forward, no matter what. And in fact, in the early days, in some of the conversations we had, it's like some of the congregations rediscovered the understanding that they have people in nursing homes, they have people who are shut in, and they hadn't been serving them as well as they might. And so what a wonderful opportunity, not only to spread the impact of your congregation to people who don't know you yet, but also to bring back into community those who used to be there, but because of travel or other restrictions were unable to participate. Yeah. And it's also an opportunity for continued imagination and creativity, right? You know, if we know that we can't go back or it'd be futile to try, then what might moving forward look like? And my hope is that congregational leaders will actually think about the stakeholders that they bring into those conversations, that they'll think about the people that they want to touch, the people that their ministry affects. Maybe those are community folks, maybe they're marginalized groups within the congregation that maybe haven't had a historical or traditional input into worship or youth ministry or whatever. I hope that they're being more strategic and bringing in different voices into that planning, into that dreaming, and into that imagination. And perhaps that will mean something more sustainable is created. Yeah, and if I can make a plug for a prior podcast, season one, episode seven with Victoria Son Esparza is very much about that human-centered design and how you talk with the end users. You know, it's from technology, so I'm using that language, but talking to your end users and understanding what they need and then crafting what you do based on the needs that are out there as opposed to just assuming that you know what's needed. And there's also just a great opportunity here that if you are a congregational leader to number one, check out what other congregations are doing. And because now that it's all online and it's just right there, you can do some Google searches and attend some recorded services and see, are there elements that they're doing that you can bring in as well? You know, even when it gets back to a place where you can have people 
in the seats or in the pews, have some of your leaders stay at home for a period of time to understand the experience from that side of things and make sure that you're not only talking to the people who are physically present week in, week out, but that you're having conversations with people who are on the outside in the virtual space so that you can understand that experience. I love that you mentioned human-centered design. You know, there's a firm called In the Water Designs that uh, Victoria Sun Esparza founded. And so that's definitely something, Matt, that I'm glad you reminded us of that. And I hope folks go back and check out as they're doing this reimagining. With that in mind, there are other resources that we want to highlight that we think really mesh well with this episode. So up next, resources. Well, let's talk resources. Ben, what do you have for this week? So I went a slightly different direction this week because why not? You know, we have this resource on the CRG website called Seder 2020, and it's a clearinghouse for virtual leaders that allows you to create your own Seder or join the Seder of another. So it's specific to our Jewish congregations, and they have the same virtual needs that everyone else has. And so I wanted to really highlight this. Seder 2020 offers virtual Seder instructions, a list of virtual Seders, video conferencing options, and then helpful tips like how to prevent Zoom bombing, for instance. So if you are a Jewish congregation, a synagogue, and you want additional resources, on how to meet virtually, how to have a virtual Seder. This is a good resource to highlight. Yeah, and even for any Christian congregations listening, you know, we can always learn from one another. And so there probably are some really interesting things that would be good takeaways for any congregation, of course. Of course. How about you, Matt? What do you uh, have for us today? So I want to highlight Pastor Gerton's company, Gert Enterprises. It's gertenterprises.com. But he's got an academy where he does some training. There's also currently a live video streaming quick start guide, which is available to people who subscribe to his email list. And again, from the interview, you probably remember this. He's been doing this for over 20 years. He's an educator. He has so many pieces of his background that he's bringing into the congregational space. And so I really view him as a very valuable resource uh, that it would be good to get connected with. And just in our conversations with him, he's been very open even to just answering some basic questions that people have from time to time. So I think it'd be worth your while if you want to learn how to up your game, especially with live streaming services, to potentially connect with Gert Enterprises. Yeah, I agree. I've had the pleasure of working with him both when he was a pastor and now through the podcast. And he is just a wealth of information. And he does what he does very well. His standard of excellence is pretty high. And so he's a great resource. Yeah. And I also want to highlight in terms of resourcing, we we had an education event yesterday and so many of the questions in that education event, it was about the basics of YouTube and Facebook. And so many of the questions were so incredibly specific and that's not a bad thing, but so many of those specific questions can be answered just with a quick Google search. So I just encourage you that if, if searching for things on the internet is intimidating, there are people in your congregation who can do it well. And so just even asking around and saying, Hey, who's really good at finding stuff online? Because a lot of your questions about interfaces, about types of cables, about types of software, about the interface of software, those things can be very quickly and easily answered with just about five minutes as long as you kind of know how to look for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Googling is an art form nowadays. You know, you've got to learn how to sift through information. And so the, the more you can develop that, the better. But I'm sure there are plenty of folks in your communities that can help you and assist you in the development of that art form, if you will. 
I also want to highlight on the CRG, and we'll actually put two different CRG links up because this other collection, we've got a collection on there that's technology for virtual congregational life. It's currently got nine resources on it. And one of those resources is a resource list for online church, and it's got so many different links. And some of it won't be applicable to you, but some of it very well may. And I think it's just worth perusing that list and uh, seeing if there's anything there that might be helpful for you. Yeah, as you can imagine, we have done a lot of work over the last year to really gather applicable information that deals with congregations hosting virtual worship services from a hardware standpoint to a software standpoint to just simply a best practice standpoint. So we really hope you utilize the collections that are already on the CRG because they have a wealth of information and knowledge. So just remember that we're here to help. If you're an Indiana congregation, reach out to your local office and we can help you find information and resources specific to your situation. If you're outside of the state of Indiana, use the CRG, use the chat feature and you'll connect. Actually, Ben is one of the people who is behind the scenes on that chat. So you may very well connect with Ben or even just email us at the podcast at centerforcongregations.org email address. And we'd love to help through that as well. And as always, you can keep in touch with us through our social media platforms. We're active on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us at the Center for Congregations on both platforms. And we would really appreciate you taking time, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, to leave us a five-star rating and review. The five-star rating is very important because that is the quickest way for new listeners to gain access and find out about this podcast and the resources and experts that we're connecting you with. So if you love what we do, and we definitely know that you do, please take a moment and leave us a five-star rating and review so others can find this information as well. And just a reminder that we are funded by the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. And so please understand that when we talk about resources, even talking about Pastor Girton, and even though he was the guest, this is not a transactional approach for us. We just really think he does good work. We really think he's a good expert and somebody to reach out to. So once again, we want to thank our fantastic podcast engineer, Jaden Lee, who does all the behind the scenes editing for us and makes us sound amazing. We also want to thank our amazing audience for listening today. We appreciate the support that you provide. We appreciate that you tune in every other week to listen and to hear from the great experts that we have on this podcast. And we hope you'll continue to support us as we endeavor to do this work and to connect you with the resources and people that you need to make your congregation and communities excellent. So on behalf of the Center for Congregations, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Ben Tapper. And I'm Matt Burke. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.